This is episode 357 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are Normalcy Bias, Will You Underestimate the Next Disaster? and Homemade Hot Pepper Spray, Repelling Pests Naturally in the Garden. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you'd like some more information, there is a link in the show notes or you can come over to ThePrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey guys, you might need to bear with me just a little bit uh, on this podcast. The throat's feeling a little bit scratchy, and so uh, uh, you know you probably won't uh, notice it. But I'm going to be taking some breaks to you know drink some water and uh, uh, making sure that I, I can uh, get through the podcast. So uh, anyway, let's go ahead and jump in. The first uh, article is coming to us from thesurvivalistblog.net, and it's entitled "Normalcy Bias: Will You Underestimate the Next Disaster?" If you have ever watched a crisis unfold in person or perhaps some recorded footage, you have probably noticed a few people involved in the proceedings acting very nonplussed about the whole affair, even if they are moments or millimeters from death. You ever wonder why? Do they have ice water in their veins? Do they just not care or do they not comprehend the severity of the situation? Plain stupid. The answer is not as easy as all that, but there is a commonly occurring phenomenon, really a state of mind, that affects a great many people in ways big and small. It's called normalcy bias, and chances are it affects you in ways you might not even realize. In its mildest incarnation, it will slow down your decision-making process when all signs point to trouble. At its worst, it will strike in a rapidly emerging dangerous situation and give you a bad case of brain lock, that same look you see on the faces of those poor bystanders that stand around when the truck is veering off the road or the mugger is about to shank them with a knife. The good news is you can dampen, even eliminate it to a degree. One of the most important elements in combating normalcy bias is understanding its effects on your psyche and the fact that you are likely already affected by it. Once you know how it clouds your judgment, you might be able to slip the reins it tries to throttle your brain with and act more shrewdly and quickly when the chips are down. So, I don't have normalcy bias. Everything is fine. Ah, you do have normalcy bias. I knew it. Stay back before we all catch it. Okay, I'm kidding about the last part. It isn't a germ you can catch from someone. All glibness aside, normalcy bias is pretty easy to understand. Normalcy bias is simply defined as a pattern of thinking that actively causes people to underestimate, even ignore, what they are confronted with. Put another way, it is the promise that little voice in your head makes when it tells you everything will turn out just like it always has, A-OK. Normalcy bias can strike in major cataclysmic events or little everyday ones. Big or small, the typical outcome is that it slows down your decision-making and often constricts your thinking to an oft-repeated outcome, like nothing is wrong, everything will be fine. 
This might manifest as a lack of action in a crisis, like rendering aid, getting out of the way of something that can kill you, or going on the offensive against an imminent threat from someone or something intending to hurt you. It might manifest as lackluster or half-hearted preparation for likely or impending disasters, risks, or threats. In other words, it isn't just freezing or whistling a tune while death closes in. In order to react effectively to something, we have to take in information, process it, weigh our options or formulate an option, then decide, then act on our decision. Often this process happens extremely quickly when our our brains have encountered this precise scenario countless times before, rehearsed it, executed against it, and met with a favorable or at least not disastrous outcome. Decision-making suffers when new or unexpected elements are added to the equation, perhaps by getting slower or choosing non-optimal solutions. Things get really dicey when confronted with a situation so enormous, dangerous, out of the ordinary or shocking that our brains stress out and go blue screen like your PC does when it crashes. In essence, this is normalcy bias at its worst. Your brain either outright refuses to make a decision that will preserve your life and limb or instead actually rejects the situation entirely, conjuring a mundane and less severe explanation for what is being perceived. I know what you are thinking. Charles, I am a seasoned, hardened prepper. I know danger when I see it, and heck, I practically have to stop myself from wishing for one just so I can test myself. Well, fair enough, but the flaw in your plan is that you might not catch normalcy bias in time before it screws you. Normalcy bias may be the voice that assures you the operator of the heavy equipment speeding towards your squishy, crunchy body can see you. It nudges you and reminds you that the other weather station said the Category 5 hurricane that is about to wipe out half your state is expected to weaken, and besides, 15 years with no major hurricane means this one is no different. It will stall you, gluing you to the news reports or some other meaningless task before you choose to grab your pack and evacuate. It chides you for jockeying up when that scruffy dude with the darting glances turns and walks briskly towards you. He probably is just going to ask you for your change. In sudden events, this delay in accepting what is happening will be enough to get you hurt or killed. In ones where you have more warning, it may cause you to get overtaken by something that could have been easily avoided had you acted on the information you had earlier. It is this delay in reaching your decision-making phase that is so dangerous. This bias, bug thought, glitch, whatever you want to call it, can't even strike in situations where the world is actively falling apart around you. Normalcy bias keeps people blithely cooped up in their homes during disasters as severe as erupting volcanoes and approaching war. That sounds crazy, lunatic, unbelievable, but I assure you this phenomenon is true, well understood, and widespread. What is not well understood, however, is just how great a toll in life and society it costs. So confronting and avoiding normalcy bias. Normalcy bias is the son of complacency and its brother is bystander syndrome. Most of us are familiar with both of these. Complacency will lull you into doing things in a way you know they should not be done, but you do it anyway. It is laziness. 
The bystander effect engages when you are standing around watching some crisis unfold and you and all the other gawkers do nothing because you erroneously believe someone else is going to spring into action any second or that it isn't your responsibility. One of the foundational techniques to confound normalcy bias is good realistic training. Our brains don't kick into warp speed when confronted with the problem manifesting just as fast. If you have to think at that speed, you're toast. But your brain can pull up a solution for just that problem with blinding blinding quickness in response to a stimulus if it had had opportunities to rehearse it a few times. That is where training comes in. Any of you readers that have trained in anything, firearms, martial arts, performance driving, emergency medicine, and encountered a situation where that training kicked in immediately, and if you could not honestly recall making the decision to act, know what I am talking about. Training, in essence, gives your brain both the preview and the shortcut to the correct solution to a given problem, allowing it to bypass that too-slow deliberation you can ill afford in a life-or-die situation. Training provides knowledge and experience, both good inoculations against the stresses of an intense situation, stresses that cloud or halt your mind. You must also start cultivating the habit of acting deliberately on the information you have right now. You can wait, observe, wait, observe, wait, and observe a situation to death, literally your death. Rehearse, visualize, and really plan for common scenarios. Envision yourself successfully acting with speed and precision to a variety of scenarios, applying the appropriate response. Don't underestimate the potential of these mental techniques. In the event of a rapidly occurring threat, your response must be pre-programmed and explosive in implementation. For ones that might escalate or emerge with warning, you will have a jumping off point, a line in the sand where X occurs I do this, no exceptions, no more deliberation act. Considering social and family pressures to conform. People fear jumping the gun for a host of reasons, but social ones are certainly a factor. We won't intervene or act on our perception because we would not want to cause or incur embarrassment. We will stick around in an area simmering under imminent violence or other trouble because we don't want to look like a coward ruin our companion's time, or something else. Many a victim has halted, pinned in place, while an assailant casually strolls right inside arm's reach, far, far too close, without challenging them because of social norms and customs. You'll need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and making other people uncomfortable to ensure you are acting in yours and your family's best interest and or safety and security. If you are regularly out with your partner or family, making or make it a point to discuss with them ahead of time a specific word or phrase that you will discreetly say to them when it's your time to either leave or for them to follow your instruction implicitly. Tolerate no scoffing, eye rolling, or anything else. This does not mean overreact. If you bow up and start brandishing whenever someone glances your way, You'll not only find yourself without any friends and companions pretty quickly owing to your being socially rudderless, but you'll probably wind up incarcerated. You don't need to start flipping tables over and taking cover behind them just because an argument escalates in public or you see an unsavory character in a restaurant. 
but you should ratchet up your awareness, pay attention, and have your line in the sand for more decisive actions. Obviously, some events and actions will warrant immediate action. If you are sitting in the restaurant I mentioned above and see someone pull out a handgun that would warrant immediate action. Three guys arrowing in on you in a classic V formation while you load bags into your car at the back of the dark parking lot likewise warrants an immediate and serious response. Nuance matters and it is up to you to react accurately and with appropriate intensity. You are probably thinking, duh Charles, what kind of imbecile would stand there and get waylaid in that scenario? You'd be surprised, reader. Survivors and bystanders involved in a great many similar instances would later recall how unreal or disjointed their thinking was at the time. I'm not saying you are an imbecile, but it might be arrogance to believe you will not fall victim to normalcy bias. Treat it seriously. Be aware of its smaller, less dangerous manifestations and unpack them so you recognize them for what they are. With vigilance, training, and discipline, you can minimize or even eliminate its effects. There are two concepts well known and easy to understand, if not implement, that will do much to help shield your mind from the strangling influence of normalcy bias. U.S. Air Force Colonel John Boyd developed and codified the decision-making cycle called the OODA loop. Goofy name, excellent concept. It stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act, and is a transcendent understanding of the dynamics of human conflict, particularly how two thinking adversaries engage each other. While it is well-known, often repeated, and usually shoehorned into all kinds of processes without a full understanding of its intricacies and Boyd's work, it remains an excellent resource for anyone looking to gain an edge in high-stakes, rapid, fluid situations. Its intricacies are too much to dive into in this article, but I strongly encourage you to familiarize yourself with it. Colonel Jeff Cooper, the father of the modern technique of the handgun, also developed and set forth what is called today the Cooper Color Code of Awareness. Originally intended to codify armed response to a threat, it is almost universally known by serious students of the gun and is an exemplary concept that is often tinkered with and applied to reactive action in general. It remains a seminal treatise and foundational element of personal security and awareness. Colonel Cooper's code progresses in conditions from white to yellow, orange, and finally red. White is described as unaware, unprepared. This is the default condition of most people, and certainly everyone who is entranced by a witch brick with earphones dangling from their head. In this condition, you are prey or a speed bump. Condition yellow is a relaxed state of awareness and must become your new normal. There is nothing specific that has caught your notice, but you are paying attention to your surroundings and able to escalate and react to anything that might occur. Orange signifies a specific threat or possible threat. You are focused on it and preparing to act when your line in the sand is crossed. Condition red is the line in the sand. When crossed, the fight is on. I highly recommend you learn from these two great men and their work. They have contributed much to everything we do today, and the value of their pioneering effort cannot be calculated. The normalcy bias strikes often, but is always unexpected and undesirable. 
If you know enough about it, you can fight it and prevent its influence from turning you and your loved ones into avoidable casualties. With strict discipline, rigorous training, and mental sharpening, you can alleviate the worst of its effects and react with appropriate speed and vigor in an emergency or wisely and early in a looming crisis. Have you ever fallen victim to normalcy bias or know someone who habitually keeps their head in the sand? What steps have to ensure you act in an emergency? We want to hear from you in the comments. All right, so there's a couple of comments here that you can uh, go check out. But a very important um, topic here. Uh, you know, it's very, you know, for July the 4th, I, I live in the suburbs of Houston. So um, we, you know, we pop fireworks, or at least it's it's legal to pop fireworks here. And um, even, you know, way before the, the 4th of July, and then even after, I mean, we've heard, um, we've heard fireworks going off even uh, even last night, you know, of, of all of all nights. And sometimes it's really easy when you hear a gunshot to say, OK, what is that? Is that a is that a firework or is that a gunshot or you the vice versa? You know, like, oh, that's just another firework. Now, I mean, it's distinctive, but people who aren't used to hearing it, you know, they just might say, oh, that's just kids popping off fireworks again. And so, you know, something like that. Um, I was thinking about training, and this came up in, in another situation today, actually, but, um, you know, in another whole, whole another context. But, you know, when you talk about doing uh, martial arts, and he brought this up here, one of the reasons you train, you know, the, 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 the certain punches that you do or the certain kicks that you do, you do it on a, and you, you maybe you practice blocking those. Or, or whatever, you know, the different moves, you do that so that it becomes very fluid, it becomes very easy, it becomes muscle memory. And, and that's what he's talking about as far as the scenarios. You know, thinking to or, or going through like a mental process really helps. Now, I did an article years ago on mental preparedness. And, um, you know, I read an article, you know, in preparing for that one. That stated to the fact that your mind doesn't know when things are real or or not, right? You can kind of almost trick your brain into doing it, and so that's one reason why you see, um, like, if you're ever watching uh, the Olympics and you see someone like maybe the downhill skiers or whatever, they might have their earphones on and they are. You see them swaying from side to side, and they're and they're like going through the motions they know that okay this turn right here is a little bit steeper and so they're they're leaning in a little bit more and so they're going through the run in their mind the same thing with those that do high dives you know you you'll see them they put their headphones on and they close their eyes and they're imagining themselves going through uh the twists and the turns all up in the air uh, because you know that 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 puts it into uh, a perspective. I mean, they're 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 doing it over and over and over in their mind. And the same thing goes with you know scenarios and situations and being aware. Um, you know, you can get crazy and you're always thinking things, and maybe that could go to your head. So there might be um, an argument for not allowing it to to go overboard. But if you have thought things through, maybe you think, hey, if if this certain disaster happens, what would happen? And you kind of wargame that in your mind. 
um, that is more helpful than not doing anything, right? Or you uh, you war game, um, whatever you know, whatever it might be, a blackout, you know. And how what would you go? What would be the steps that you would take if you were to you know be in a long term blackout? And so you start thinking those things through. So when it happens, you're not sitting there twiddling your thumbs. You're able to move into action. Um, I do like the uh, you know the OODA loop, and then also uh, the different codes. You know the the white, orange, um, you know the white, yellow, orange, red, and, and being able to understand that, and maybe even your family. You know, so you could uh, you know if they were a little bit more open to preparedness and safety concerns and things like that. Um, they might not even be open to preparedness, but maybe open to safety, right? So you could say something like, hey, yellow, right? And so that keeps everybody, that tells everybody to, hey, you should have your head up and not your, uh, you know, your eyes down on the, <laughs> what this author called it, the witch brick. Uh, I've never heard that called before uh, or, or a cell phone called that before. I think that's funny. But uh, you know your head in head in there in in your head in your in your cell phone, and in the witch brick, and uh, you're able to uh, you know hey okay I need to pay, be paying attention and then orange would really have everybody like really alert and letting everybody else know that you are concerned as well and there's something to really be paying attention to, so uh, that might be something you might want to incorporate into your family. So guys, this is over at thesurvivalistblog.net and uh, like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes if you want to go and uh, click on some of the links that are here and uh, go reread this article for yourself. All right, so our last article of the podcast and also of the week comes to us from oldworldgardenfarms.com and I know a lot of you are gardening out there and you know when I started gardening, I wanted to be as organic as possible. And, uh, I, and, and the other thing that I wanted to do is if I was going to be in a situation where I could not get anything else from the store, if I couldn't get fertilizer from the store, if I could not get amendments to add to my garden, if I couldn't get all those extra things that you can get, I wanted to be able to, you know, can I grow, you know, vegetables and fruit and, and those types of things. And so the problem is that you're going to deal with bugs. You're going to deal with insects and pests and all those types of things. And so what would you do if you were in that situation where you couldn't go to Home Depot and, and, and fence everything uh, off, you know, or, uh, you know, create this humongous fence so that rabbits and deer and, and all kinds of other animals can't get to it. And so one of the things is creating, um, you know, organic uh, sprays. Uh, using hot peppers and this article is a very short article but it walks you through it it's very very easy to make and uh, you know the the good people over at old world garden farms um, do you know do a great job of gardening and getting information out there to other people and uh, doing it organically and so uh, let's go ahead and read this one. This is one that, uh, again, if you are gardening, you'd want to know. And then it also might be one that you might want to go print out and uh, or at least write down this recipe and put it in uh, some kind of binder or information so that if you really needed it, you could make this for yourself if there was a, you know, a time where you couldn't get have access to any other thing. So let's go ahead and read this one. Homemade hot pepper spray, repelling pests naturally in the garden. 
If there is one concoction that has helped in our battle against pests in the garden and flower beds, it is homemade hot pepper spray. It can simply work wonders when it comes to keeping rabbits, squirrels, chipmunks, and yes, even deer at bay. Sometimes even the cutest of animals can become a nuisance. Those cute bunnies playing in the yard also love to nibble on tender young bean plants in the garden. And the tiny chipmunks might look adorable running along the fence until they start digging up newly transplanted flowers. Short of fencing off and covering every square inch of your property, it can be difficult to keep pests at bay. And for us, that is where hot pepper and hot pepper spray really helps the cause. We have used hot peppers for years to help protect our gardens and flower beds. Each year, we plant the hottest of our hot peppers on the outer rows of the garden as a barrier. We also mix in planting of ornamental hot peppers in our flower beds. Not only do they provide incredible color to the landscape, they also help protect plants around them. As crazy as it sounds, simply planting the hot pepper plants really does keep most damage at bay. Almost every single year we see or we will see small nibbles at first and on the hot pepper plants and peppers and then suddenly nothing. And then uh, there's a link here. See growing ornamental and hot peppers in the landscape. And what I would want to know is how um, what is the the distance between each hot pepper plant? Um, that might be something I might want to uh, put in the comments here, because I think that's an important question to uh or you know answer to know right is uh, how far apart all right so continuing on but occasionally a group of pests seems intent on wanting to destroy a new plant new planting most recently it was a few choice rabbits helping themselves to the foliage of weak old bean plants and that called for a little added protection with our homemade hot pepper spray it is so simple and inexpensive to make and works wonders in repelling pests when applied to the foliage of plants in the garden and landscape. So the homemade hot pepper spray recipe. This recipe is for a single gallon of mix. To make more or less, you can simply adjust the ingredients to the same ratio of peppers. Ingredients. One gallon of water. Ten hot peppers chopped finely. We use whatever hot peppers we might have on hand. Cayenne and our Chinese five-color ornamentals are two of our favorites, but jalapeno, ghost, and other hot peppers will work. Four to five table, and there's an asterisk here, four to five tablespoons of hot pepper flakes, if not using fresh. And then uh, there is a link here for crushed hot pepper flakes. And then one teaspoon of olive oil. Add the peppers and the water into a pan and bring to a simmer for 15 minutes. Heating the liquid helps to release and infuse the oils from the hot pepper. Let the mixture sit for about 24 hours. Strain the peppers out and add in the teaspoon of olive oil. This will help the mixture to stick to the plants when sprayed. You can also use a few drops of mild dish detergent, but we prefer to keep it natural with olive oil. Place the mixture into a small pump sprayer and apply to the foliage of plants. We use a small hand-held sprayer with good success. It is best to apply in the early morning or late evening when the sun is not beaten down on the plants. Reapply every three to five days to keep plants protected. Reapply after rain or watering as well to keep the foliage coated with the hot taste of the pepper spray. 
Remember to use gloves when working with both the hot peppers and hot pepper spray. It will burn if you get it in your eyes, so spray with caution. If using on vegetables, that will be picked within a day or two. Be sure to rinse off any of the hot pepper residue before consuming. The best part of homemade hot pepper spray is the cost. If you grow your own peppers, you can, of course, make it for free. But even if you have to purchase a few peppers at the farmer's market or a little ground cayenne at the store, you can make it for pennies on the dollar. Here's to adding a little spice to your landscape and keeping pests at bay. Happy gardening, Jim and Mary. All right, guys. And so there are you know a few comments here as well. I think I am going to ask that question in the comments if someone hasn't already asked that. Someone said that spearmint chewing gum uh, works wonders on moles or moles, shrews, just placed by, by some of their holes. They love it, but they can't digest it and it kills them. All right, on that one. So I think I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, ask that question. But anyway, great information here. And like I said, this might be one of those where you go and you get the recipe you know, or you print off this article and you, you keep it in a binder or you, know, you write it down somewhere so that you have access to it so that you can, you can make it when you need to. So again, that's going to be over at oldworldgardenfarms.com. And again, I'll link to it in the show notes and also over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. Well, everyone, that is it for this episode, episode 357 and another week of podcast episodes in the books. Thanks so much for hanging out with me this week. And uh, if you are new to the podcast, you're new this week, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast and thank you for listening. Really do appreciate all of the listeners out there and, uh, you know, just, you know, keeping me going with uh, all your encouragement and your, your positive feedback. Uh, if you are looking for more preparedness information, we have a ton of it over at PrepperWebsite.com. Uh, like I say at the very beginning of the podcast, uh, all the articles that I read on the podcast come from PrepperWebsite.com. And uh, there's no way that I can get to all of those articles that are there. So if you are looking for more preparedness and you have a little bit of time, head on over to PrepperWebsite.com and uh, you know go check out all the great articles that are that are listed and we have articles you know every single day we're, we're posting new ones and so anywhere between you know eight to twelve articles sometimes even more uh, just that w- whatever is being put out there so definitely a lot more preparedness over there if you are looking for a specific topic you can click on the right hand corner and do the drop down and click on research topic and it'll open up a page that has the prepper website tag cloud and then you can go click on any um, you can click on any uh, tag, any word, and it will take you to articles that are just about that specific topic. And so that's great because you know that you're not sifting through Google or some other search engine. You are uh, those are articles that have been all posted on Prepper website. And so really good articles that you can go and uh, you can read up on. So uh, like I said, PrepperWebsite.com. Hey guys, and don't forget to subscribe to the show. Uh, you can head on over to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Uh, we have a ton of ways to subscribe over there. And that way you never miss another episode. And, and take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes uh, for social media and also on our Facebook group. And with that, Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.